You're listening to the Keep Writing Podcast, a resource for Christian women who are ready to write their first book, and then more, so they can guide their readers into spiritual freedom while guiding their own families into financial freedom. I'm Nika Maple, and this is episode 92, Plan for a Productive Writing Year. write a lot of books in 2022. What do you say? I believe we can do it. And why wouldn't we? It's never been easier to get a book into readers' hands. In fact, if you choose self-publishing, your book could be available by the end of the year. And if you choose traditional publishing, The timeline would be considerably longer, but you can still make traction and get an agent or a book deal by the end of the year, even though it might be as much as two years after that before your book is in readers' hands. The point is, either way you go, it's time to get started. And it's possible. Your book is possible. Over the next few episodes, I'm going to teach you exactly what you need to pull your ideas from your mind and heart to the page. I coach my clients through three dependable tools that they can use to reach their goals, and I'm going to share them with you. Those dependable tools are a belief plan, a results plan, and a permission slip to allow any emotion. I'll go over those in the next three episodes and you can look forward to them. But first, we need to make a goal and map it out. For that, we have five steps today. Where do we begin? We always begin with the kingdom. Matthew 6.33 tells us to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first. And then all the other things will be added to us. And what are all those other things? Well, if you read the two or three verses that come before Matthew 6, 33, Jesus is talking about food and clothing. So in other words, our basic needs. That's right. Our basic needs will be met if we seek God and his kingdom first. So step one, seek God. The Lord wants to be involved in your activities this year. And how do I know? Because in Ephesians 2.10, we read that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Doesn't it change things to consider that our works have been prepared in advance? So it would be a big mistake to try and go after goals without consulting our creator. And how do we do that? How do we seek him? You can set aside time. You can set aside time for just you and him. I usually like to do that by setting a timer so that I can give myself fully to the effort without having to check clocks, without having to check my phone. I set that timer for 30 minutes or for 45 minutes or an hour, and then I just forget my to-do list. I'll put my phone far away so I won't be tempted to double check anything that's going on in my life. I already know I've set aside this time and the alarm will go off when it's complete. 
There's no secret formula for seeking God. Just talk to him and know that he wants to talk to you. One of the ways he speaks through you is through those nagging desires inside. Have you ever considered that maybe he put them there as a sweet signal that would draw you close to him? If you're experiencing a persistent longing to do a good work, but you don't have any idea how to get there, then chances are it's your invitation. You aren't supposed to know how to get there. You're just supposed to ask your gracious host what he means by sending you this invitation. He'll tell you where to go if you stay in close contact with him and obey. So set aside that time to be with him and ask him, Lord, what do you want to accomplish within and through me this year? Then listen to his dreams. Write down what he says. He's your good partner and the work he's called you to is sacred. It's holy. Holy means set apart for his purposes. You've been set apart for his purposes. Don't you dare do anything without him. And during the time that you set aside to be with him, just dream big. Allow him to have the space to put a vision on your heart and don't hem it in with ideas that you think are possible. This is the God who works miracles. He is not held back by a human idea of what is possible and what isn't. Let him give you an area of focus that might surprise you. Again, just let him have his way and write down what you hear him saying, even if it makes you tremble. Step two, set an outcome goal. God will be leading your thoughts through all of this. So it goes without saying that you're keeping a prayerful attitude. Now that he's given you an area of focus for the year, then set an outcome goal. This is something that can be answered with yes or no by the end of the year. A goal like write a book is just too general. You'll never arrive somewhere vague. Who gets into a car and just says to their GPS, take me somewhere nice, or let's go to a friend's house. It's just too vague. You have to put in an address for somewhere that you think is nice or for a specific friend's house. If you plan to arrive there, you have to know where you want to go. Besides, you don't want to leave room for an answer other than yes or no, such as, did you write a book this year? Well, I started one. Or, "Mm, I'm almost finished. That kind of stuff is not going to cut it. With your outcome goal, you have to be specific. Connect your result to a date. For instance, I will sign with a literary agent by December 31st. Or I will finish my manuscript by June 30th. Or I will join a writer's group by March 31st. Step three, set a habit goal. An outcome goal doesn't just happen by itself. And that is where most dreams wither away into the land of incompleteness. 
We have something large in mind, but we're unsure of what it takes to actually get there. Jesus addresses this tendency in Luke 14, 25 through 33. And to keep this excerpt true to its context, he is talking here about counting the cost of becoming his disciple. But we can also apply it to doing the work he's planned in advance for us to do. So let's read this passage together, starting in verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there was even enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. In many ways, I find this biblical passage to be helpful in the conversation about goal setting, because here Jesus reminds us that obtaining something of great value always costs. To paraphrase his last sentence in that selection, you can't become an author without giving up every excuse you. In other words, it's a game of yeses and nos. What you say yes to will require you saying no to something else. You are going to have to do things that you don't want to do and then do them again and again and again. Take a close look at the outcome goal you want. Then figure out the habit goal that will allow that outcome to happen. How many hours per week will you have to write in order to meet your word count goal? How many times will you need to reach out to churches or groups to offer your services as a speaker in order to get the number of speaking engagements or to move out of the area of writing or speaking? Here's another example. How many times will you need to work out in order to drop two clothing sizes? This is simply a matter of asking yourself how many yeses you will have to say over the course of the year. But then you also have to figure out the flip side. And most importantly, how many no's will you have to say? How many TV shows will you have to give up in order to engage in those habits? How many mornings will you have to wake up early and say no to sleep? How many evenings out with friends will you have to pass by? Again, it is all about asking yourself not, not only how many yeses you will have to say in the next year, 
but how many no's you will also have to say. Count the cost. How many yeses and how many no's are required to invest in your desired outcome goal? The yeses and no's that you take every week or every day do not guarantee the outcome goal, but it makes it much more likely that you will meet or at least be very close to meeting that goal because you will already have a clear picture of the cost of the goal itself and whether or not you are actually willing to pay it. Step four, break it into smaller containers. A year feels like an endless container that allows for the tide on the sea of excuses to rise. We think to ourselves, oh, I have plenty of time left. I'll just skip today. And we fritter away what little time we have by the illusion of thinking we have a lot of it. One of the most helpful practices I've developed is breaking down my goals into smaller containers. For me, the ideal container is 90 days or a quarter. I view my year in terms of quarters. Q1 is January, February, March. Q2 is April, May, and June. Q3 is July, August, and September. And Q4 is October, November, December. We are designed by God to respond to the seasons and breaking my goals down into quarters helps me to think in terms of those seasons when I'm most likely to be busy or tired or distracted. I take that big outcome or habit goal and I look at it in terms of quarters, whether that be equally dividing it into four parts or distributing it unequally across the quarters according to when I expect to be most productive. No matter how you break down your goal into smaller containers, you'll have a better grasp of your progress or lack of progress by looking at the smaller segments along the way. Plus, it allows for celebrations along the way too, because as you meet smaller goals, you're going to feel excited and accomplished and celebrations increase motivation. At least they do for me. Step five, track the relationship between your habits and your outcomes. You may have already heard the phrase, what gets measured gets managed. And I can't tell you how true this has been for me. Before I started measuring my habits and outcomes, I never really saw how they were connected. And now that I do track the relationship between my habits and outcomes, I make so much more progress. If you don't set up a way of tracking your habits and outcomes and the relationship between the two, you really won't know what is working for you and what isn't. I track my habits by creating a simple spreadsheet that I can update regularly. This doesn't have to be complicated or even beautiful. You just need to be able to see the correlation between your habits and your outcomes. If you track habits daily, then track outcomes weekly. If you track habits weekly, then track outcomes monthly. Let there be a trail of breadcrumbs that you can keep following all the way to the end of the year. Here are a few examples. Track the daily habit goals of going for a walk or only drinking water instead of soda. And then track the weekly outcome goal of your waist measurement or energy level. Next, track the weekly habit goal of a certain number of hours of writing each week. 
and then track the monthly outcome goal of the number of words or chapters that you have finished. Finally, track the weekly habit goal of posting valuable content on social media. And then track the monthly outcome goal of books sold. Habit goals track the actions that you take regardless of an outcome. And then outcome goals track what happens as a result of those actions and habits. And when you see that on a spreadsheet or on a poster or on a calendar or in a daily planner, it tells your brain that what you're doing matters and you'll be more likely to do it. Our brains tend to sell us out by whispering that it just doesn't matter what we do, it's never going to change. And we think we're not making progress simply because it's happening in such a small way. But when you track that progress, you see the bits and pieces that happen over time. And the small parts become a big way to get to the sum or the whole that you're looking for. So there you go. Plan for a productive writing year by following these five steps. One, seek God. Two, set an outcome goal. Three, set a habit goal. Four, break it into smaller containers. And five, track the relationship between your habits and your outcomes. You can do this. And so can I. This year is going to be a wonderful time of participating with heaven to bring blessing to earth. I'll leave you with a reading that is appropriate for the first week of a new year, a passage that reminds us of why we do what we do. Here is Psalm 65. Praise awaits you, our God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas and the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Amen. We serve a God of beauty and abundance. He is not stingy and he does not withhold for no reason. You can plan for a productive writing year because the God who loves you stands ready to help you multiply your effort. 
That's who he is. It's what he does. Let him crown your year with his bounty. Has this podcast been a blessing to you? I am so grateful when listeners write a quick review of the Keep Writing Podcast. When you do, it improves visibility of this show, bumping it into the feeds of people who haven't discovered it yet. It's an easy way of helping me spread the good news to other Christian women who are ready to write books for God's glory. Please consider helping me in this way. Stop and leave a review telling new people what they can expect when they subscribe. Trust me, you're going to want people to stop and leave a review of your book. And one day they will if you start the positive loop of promoting people's work. They too will one day promote yours.